Hey there, my name is Scott Duvall, and welcome back to the Waiting Since Last Saturday podcast. This is episode 181, and it's a very special episode because it's a Spotlight Series interview. My co-host, Tony Waller, interviews Dan Rubenstein. Dan is the host of Sports Wars on Wondery. He's the co-host of The Solid Verbal and got his start in sports media as the SI Tour Guide back in 2006. In this episode, Dan and Tony talk about Sports Wars' upcoming series on the Waiting Since Last Saturday podcast. No, that's not correct. They talk about the world's largest outdoor cocktail party series. <laughs> if only Dan was doing a series on Waiting Since Last Saturday, but I digress. They also talk about Dan's college football fandom in general, the Georgia versus Oregon Chick-fil-A kickoff game that happens in 2022, and of course, Dan's love for tacos. And as sometimes I like to do, or I don't like to do it, but sometimes I'll give you a heads up when we got some sketchy audio. Dan sounds great throughout the interview, but Tony's microphone kind of goes in and out. So just be aware of that. It's fine, but just wanted to give you a heads up. So with all that being said, I uh, hope you enjoy the Dan Rubenstein interview. Okay. Uh, as I said, this is Tony Waller. I'm being joined today by Dan Rubenstein. He is the host of Sports Wars on Wondery. He's a co-host of The Solid Verbal. He's a taco fanatic, and a lot of you probably remember him as SI Tour Guy from back in 2007, 8, 9, right? You did three years, right? I did. I technically did four. Uh, Did I do four? Did I do – I I did – so in 2006, I started the concept. If you don't know what we are talking about, I just interviewed tailgaters on video and cut it all together to give a little snapshot of what pregame looks like at various schools. And in 2006, I started the concept on my own and did it at Pac-12, then Pac-10 schools, and then sold the concept to Sports Illustrated and did it for another few years there. Um, so I've been a lot of places, which is an incredibly you know, privileged, fortunate thing to say because college football is incredible. College football atmosphere and people and traditions and brisket and all sorts of things are possibly even better. Yeah, that's I'd, I'd forgotten that whole backstory that you were basically working at a even a movie studio or for a TV oh, yeah. company, right? Yeah, and it's like you know what? So I'm, I was working for. Yeah. <laughs> I was working for first out of college. I worked as a production assistant for a a production company in Hollywood, which involved me like deliver like sitting in my car delivering scripts around Hollywood, and then I got a job as sort of a development business affairs assistant at DreamWorks Animation. And that was just a lot of reading scripts to see if anything needed to be cleared for copyright reasons, uh, which was fine. I read a lot of like Shrek 3 drafts, um, but it was ultimately pretty boring. And I came up with this concept while I was there to you know shoot video. I could shoot and host and edit it all myself. So came up with the concept over the summer and I just sort of said, screw it. Um, and went on the road on the weekends and did that and put it on YouTube and sort of the infancy of YouTube in 2006 and started a little website called the College Football Tour Guide. And then after the season, sent it out everywhere. And one of the places I sent it was the MySpace page of Sports Illustrated on campus and heard back from the guy running it, which was Arash Markazi, who since has been at ESPN, now the LA Times. And he told his bosses to hire me to do it for Sports Illustrated. So then I did it nationally. And so I've been to now dozens of schools around the country in a fun tailgating and then watch the game capacity. So a pretty fortunate, you know, turn of events for me. And during that tour, what was the best ball game mm-hmm. you got to see? Like, 
either subjectively or objectively. In terms of like the actual competition on the field? Yeah. Wow, it's a great question. Um, I saw a pretty tight Ohio State Penn State game. Um, I'm trying to like go through all of the games I watched. I I remember going to a Florida Tennessee game that wasn't super competitive, but seeing Florida 2008 up close and like seeing Cam Newton on the sideline, thinking he was a defensive end when he was a backup quarterback, and that was a Tebow game, and I watched that from the sideline. That was the most unlike growing up in Southern California college football experience I've had. Just going to Tennessee, even though Tennessee wasn't good, but going to Tennessee for Tennessee, Florida, and you know, being on the field for a hundred thousand plus people, um, and seeing NFL players, future NFL players everywhere. That was that was pretty incredible. But you're putting me on the spot and I'm probably forgetting something else, but there were some some pretty great experiences just being around huge time football fourteen weeks a year. Yeah, you probably answered the question I meant to ask, which is, you know, taking into account, you know, the scene and the stadium and it, mm-hmm. maybe not necessarily the impact. I mean, um, you know, it, we'll, we'll get to we'll get to Georgia, Florida and the Red River shootout here in a few minutes. But sure. You know, the whole the whole thing, you know, the whole part of the great part about college football is that, um, you know, necessarily the stadiums and the people and the fans and the all the all the stuff surrounding the game is a necessary part of the enjoyment, right? It's what separates the sport. It's the, the culture around the sport is so dense with layers that are so different in every town you go to. And it just doesn't exist in baseball. It doesn't exist in another college sport. It doesn't exist with the NFL. And that's what I tried to tap into that college football is so much more than a sport. Speaking of college football, you went to Oregon, even though you're from L.A. Is that right? I remember that. Correct. Yep. How did you become a duck? Uh, I had a 3.4 GPA. No, um, I became a duck because I I actually I really wanted to go to USC and I got waitlisted to go to USC and wanted to stay on the West Coast and just wanted to start college. Uh, I wanted to go somewhere that had a journalism program and some form of broadcast journalism, which is not super common. You know, USC has it, but on the West Coast, it's not a super common thing. It's not like going to Missouri or Northwestern or Syracuse. And I got into a couple of those places, but ultimately didn't want to go somewhere freezing. So ended up at Oregon. I visited in May, which was extremely misleading because May, Eugene, Oregon is one of the best places in the country. It's just there's no humidity. Everybody's happy. It's lush and green and everybody's outside hiking and going for runs. And uh, in no late November, it's just gray and damp through mid-March or April. Um, and so I didn't have a concept for that. I was actually bummed out part of my freshman year because of that, but grew to love Oregon. And, um, you know, I actually spoke at the New York alumni event last night. So I I ended up there because it, it fit everything I was looking for. It wasn't because I had always grown up, you know, my parents didn't go to Oregon. I didn't you know, I wasn't entranced by a football team or a particular program. It just checked all the boxes, and eventually, I grew to love it. Yeah, I'm actually uh, 
I'm pretty high on the Ducks this year, by the way. I, I need some. Uh, I need you. Okay. Either, I need you either talk me into uh, telling these these guys I'll, I do this little podcast with uh, why they're wrong to pick Washington. Um, I don't know if you know who Washington's quarterback is. Probably going to be this year, but um, we have some experience right. with him here in the Athens area. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we'll we'll start with the Ducks, and we can talk about Washington if you'd like, because it's you know it's hard to separate the two. You talk about Oregon. You talk about Washington recently. Um, I like a lot more than I don't like, but what I don't like has me very concerned. So what I like is I like the new hire at defensive coordinator from Boise state, Andy Avlos. I think he, he runs an unpredictable defense, a lot of motion, a lot of confusion, pre-snap. You know, like when Alex Grinch ran our defense like that at Washington state, even though they're not necessarily the same defense, I like how they've recruited. I like the continuity, you know, along the defensive line, you know, Troy diet linebacker on the inside, um, their secondary is finally experienced. They had a, a freshman All-American at safety in Javon Holland, who led the team in interceptions. Thomas Graham, I think, is a very solid corner on one side. The other side is sort of TBD. And offensively, is it's weird to say this when uh, you're rooting for a team that has Justin Herbert, who is one of the – I don't think he's the best quarterback in the country, but he's probably one of the eight best quarterbacks in the country and could be the first or second quarterback taken in next year's draft. And – I think if not the best offensive line in the country, the most experienced and, you know, if it's not an a, a, a straight A, it's an A minus or a straight A. Um, but my concern is more with the creativity and the scheme and the fact that they are sort of still married to running the pistol and running out of the pistol and using that as somewhat of a base look when a lot of college football appears to be especially when you look at who's successful in offense who's efficient on offense moving away from basing your offense around downhill running and i know george is an example of a team that has succeeded pretty wildly with you know a more traditional power look these past couple years but they've had the talent to pull it off they've had the competition that made sense to run it at And I also think Georgia has been more creative than they get credit for offensively running that Jim Chaney system. We'll see what they look like this year. But I have my concern that Oregon is not content enough to take an easy six yards, whereas other schools know that college players have difficulty tackling in the open field. And it's okay to just throw a quick hitch. It's okay to just throw a swing pass to an an able-bodied running back out of the backfield. And there's something about Oregon that's just downhill running or difficult intermediate or deep pass. And it got them into trouble last year, especially onto the road where all of a sudden they they go three and out their first three or four drives and fall into like a 17 to three hole with, you know, three minutes left in the first quarter. That to me is troubling, especially with, uh, with Auburn to start the schedule and Washington on the road. My question to you is, what is – is Jacob Eason okay? I, I just I, – I remember him at Georgia and thinking, well, he's a freshman, but it's not really looking terrific. Well, I think there's a couple of things to think about with Jacob Eason. The first is, of course, he was a freshman, true freshman starting. Um, in mm-hmm. the football team that – I mean, even the football team that um, – you know, Jake Fromm took over in 17 after the injury to Eason. Uh, it's very different than the football team that uh, Eason played with in that earlier season in 16 um, as far as 
buy-in as far as leadership, as far as, I mean, for that matter, sure. development, um, it, you know, it is a very interesting what-if game to play had Eason not gotten hurt. I, I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any way from probably takes the starting job from him until the following year, but I also don't think we have any different, I don't think we have any different uh, lineup in at the quarterback spot right now at Georgia. I just think it was Fromm's I mean, it, it, at some point, it became obvious that Fromm was the better quarterback um, for a lot of different reasons. Right. Um, yeah, frankly, I think I think Eason fits what Peterson wants to do at Washington um, in in a in a better way than he ever would have for. Um, and I finally get to. I, I'm excited to get to use this with you, offensive consultant Jim Cheney. Um, Yes. Yes. I, I was. I've been mad at that for three years, and now you use it all you want. Um, <laughs> the uh, you know under Cheney's offense, and, and frankly, probably under Coley's offense, um, in the same way that Fromm fits better under those offenses than he would at you know under Peterson's offense. Um, I think it is interesting that you know you talked about three. You talked about uh, Herbert, and I agree with you about Herbert. Um, you know, probably three of the top. Certainly, three of the top ten quarterbacks in this year um, will likely have spent time in Athens, where and, and playing for Georgia. Um, mm-hmm. Although, I, I remain to be seen about about Fields, but um, he certainly has the talent to, to be there. Um, you know, I, I don't think anyone wishes Jacob Eason ill will, um, and I think there are people that are rooting for no. rooting for him to to be successful at Washington because. The way he handled what happened here, the way he handled the coaching change with Rickton Smart, and, and I think all of those things speak to his character. Um, and, and honestly, I think he did, he struggled with the decision, but ultimately made the decision he felt was best for him. And probably it's going to work out great for him. I hope so, just from a, a football perspective, because that's it's a rough deal when you go somewhere and you show that loyalty with the transition that you're going to stick with Georgia. And then have it not work out. I, I don't have the exact list in front of me, but I remember it was it South Carolina was a real rough game for him early on against uh, against the Gamecocks for Georgia. Yeah. And I want to say Florida was rough. Um, um, and it's I mean, those, those are two games that just can't yeah. be rough. Yeah. And those, you know, right. the, the interesting and, thing is he just didn't have quite the I mean, he had plenty of talent around him, but we were still paying the. Uh, paying off the check from the 2013 recruiting season, which was a disastrous season for, for sure. Rick. Um, and it, it, some of that, you know, frankly, some of that Eason had to just pay off. And that, that was, and the sad part is, is, you know, him getting hurt in, in the way he got hurt and the will here, won't he? And then, you know, from gets hot, you know, that had that. And then we had the magical season of 17 anyway. Um, that's, that he didn't say anything that he didn't it just speaks a lot to his character and um i i think most people are excited to see how he does um here's here's the thing though that has me concerned for i guess Eason and washington is the the practice reports and all the word coming out of spring and summer you would expect and this is something that i'm sure you, you follow Georgia, you cover Georgia, and you hear about Jake Fromm coming in. You're like, oh, this kid gets it. This kid has the you know the ability to be special. You hear about Tua at Alabama, and you're like, all right, this is there's we're dealing with something above and beyond you know Nick Saban has dealt with. And like 
I remember hearing about Marcus Mariota when he was a redshirt freshman. He comes in and spring ball, and he's just like, oh, this this dude just, you don't need to tell him anything twice. You heard about Herbert as well early on. There were rumblings that like, yeah, this guy is reminiscent of past Oregon quarterbacks. Like you tell him something once and he just gets it. Every report out of Seattle about Eason is he's not looking great. He is not separating himself from Jake Hayner, which was the you know last year's backup who struggled when he got into games when Jake Browning got hurt. And like, there's some reports that it's Jacob Bird Sermon, the another backup that has actually you know had the highest ceiling. That's what worries me that with Jacob Eason's talent and Washington, if we're still talking about Oregon, Washington, the Pac-12 North, that I'm not terribly concerned about Washington's defense, even though they lose a ton of guys. They recruited well, and I think replacing guys on defense is much more about effort and buy-in than it is about experience. But the fact is that we didn't hear anything like, oh, Jacob Eason is just another dude. We didn't get those reports. Those There were no whispers about that. That has me troubled that he didn't lock it up in April. Yeah, and I think a lot of people from around here would say quietly um, that that is not a probably not an unfair assessment of his time in uh, his time in Athens either. Uh, but you know that's it's, right. it's, it's so hard to say. You know, Jacob Eason is For sure. so talented, and his just the way he throws the football in the way he sees the field does he, he can look effortless at times um you know in a in the same way that a um well it's not, not a great example but the same way um um steven garcia gosh uh, steven Tannehill, you know it's south carolina he was like he never looked like he was playing hard but he you know he's considered right. who he played for and when he played there he was a really good quarterback mm-hmm. um, so, yeah but i think anybody i think i'm just I'm a big believer on like, what is your 12th best throw of the game look like? That's to me, like I, am a big believer in like running backs who can turn three into seven or turn negative one into four. What is your 12th best throw look like in a game? Because I, I kind of feel the same way about Justin Herbert at times, his best three throws might be the best in the country. His arm talent, when he is hitting guys on the opposite side of the hashes or when he's hitting a timing route in the corner of the end zone, those are best of the best. But then on third and eight, when he's skipping a ball because he's throwing it a tick late, that's what concerns me. I think there's some of Easton to that as well. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll find out. Well, you know, they, their schedule sets up fairly easily for them. They start out. It's great. It's a great yeah, schedule. Yeah, yeah they, uh, they don't, it doesn't really get deep for them until you know, maybe Southern Cal, but probably at Stanford. And that uh, is going to be fun. I think, honestly, I think the, Pac-12 North is the first or second most interesting uh, Power Five division out there. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's about like I said, I'm high on the Ducks. Hey, you you uh, you know, really have obligations, and you got uh, you got uh, the wife and in the family there. But uh, come down mm-hmm. in 2000 and 2022. Oh. I mean, at uh, Atlanta in 2022, we'll have, we'll have some well, we we'll have some Chick Fil A and watching football. I would, yeah, it's in Mercedes-Benz, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Have you been in there before? So my, I have, but I didn't go to the game. I was there ahead of the national championship game two years ago and, and saw it, but I have not seen a game there yet. The reason why I, it actually makes too much sense for me, it's 2022, you said? Yep. Okay, so my son will be three, which I think is an easier travel age than what he is now, six months. Um, my wife's cousin, that's as far as deep as I'm going to go. My wife's cousin 
is married to, I don't know if this name means anything to you, Zach Klein, uh, who's on the news in Atlanta. Um, yeah, he's a sports guy for... So, WBS? Yeah, WSB. Something like that. Um, WSB, yes. So that's essentially my cousin. So we have people to visit. He covers the dogs, um, and that would be an incredible thing. And I always need to eat more Atlanta food. That's just like a given. So I'm, I'm penciling in a trip for that. Yeah, it's uh, it would we'll have a we'll have a spot for you to come by and have a piece of chicken and and have a drink. Yes, so it'll it'll be lock a, it in. Be a good time. So uh, let's talk about sports wars. If uh, and this is just less. A quick, yeah, less. This is a quick quick note out to the waiting since last Saturday listeners. Go listen to sports wars. Um, Dan, you've done you you did Jordan and Isaiah. You just finished Show being mm-hmm. Shaq, which was the best one to me, uh, along with oh, thank you, uh, along with uh, Nadal and Federer. And I'm miss. Am I missing one? Oh yeah, the, Favre uh, Rogers. Favre Rogers. Yeah, the first uh, one. Yeah, yeah. So you know, talk a little bit about the the premise of this. It's smart. It's funny. It's accessible. Frankly, I like the sure. reenactments y'all pull off. Um, it's <laughs> I, I, I'm a little sad that you felt like you had to include a disclaimer in there because I, I, I'm not the smartest guy, but I, I realized that you couldn't possibly be <laughs> that in the locker room. But uh, how did this come about? So Sports Wars came about. So Wondery is a, a pretty big podcast network that's based in L.A. And so they they've done a lot of true crime shows. They did a big show called Dirty John. Uh, Dr. Death. So a bunch of shows along those lines, but they also have a show called Business Wars. So they will talk about business rivalries. So Reebok versus Nike, you know, Ferrari versus Lamborghini, stuff like that. And they wanted to expand that brand. And they are working with a company called Blue Duck Media, which is a couple of guys who've been at the NFL Network and ESPN and Fox who are sort of doing their own thing production company wise. I've known them for a good while. And they brought me aboard knowing that I have a history doing podcast stuff. And we just have a master list of all sorts of rivalries that we'd love to do. Um, And we hit Favre Rogers early because we didn't want to make it, you know, the obvious Red Sox, Yankees, Michigan, Ohio State, Dodgers, Giants kind of thing. We want to, you know, if it's interpersonal, if it's, you know, not the most popular sports, but these huge rivalries, we wanted to hit that. So we are now doing we have a ton in the coming in the pike, but um, we, we did the ones you mentioned. And so we now just started today. We're recording this um, on, on Friday. I don't want to suspend disbelief and time and space and people listening. But uh, today, the first episode of the world's largest outdoor cocktail party premiered. So depending on your uh, your viewpoint, Georgia, Florida or Florida, Georgia. Yeah, no one and says Florida, we're Georgia. doing that's, three. That's a terrible pop. pop I was going to say terrible pop country. Band. <laughs> The Georgia-Florida rivalry. Um, so we're doing three episodes of that and then three episodes of Red River. So Oklahoma, Texas, Texas OU, whatever. Um, so it's a sort of six-episode college football thing. And um, the first episode goes through the origins of Vince Dooley and Steve Spurrier as a Heisman quarterback and how Georgia dominates, you know, historically, as you well know, pretty early on and through the middle ages of this rivalry. And then... You know, we get into in the second episode, we go into, you know, the absolute heyday of the early 80s for Georgia and Herschel and the national championship. And then, you know, the end of Vince Dooley and that how that goes into Steve Spurrier and, and what Florida is able to do in the 90s, totally flipping the rivalry on its head. 
And then the final episode is we, we go through Richt and Urban and then where things sort of stand now as the rivalry appears to be maybe more even than ever as, you know, Florida's going finally has downtimes with Will Muschamp and Jim McElwain and Georgia has a, a transition after a long time head coach. And, you know, both teams appear to be in really good shape from a from a rivalry perspective. And so because the rivalry has been so this team wins nine years out of 10 and then the other team wins 11 out of 12, that we're finally, it appears that we're in an era of um, more uncertainty year to year. Yeah, you know, I, I, it's interesting that you, you framed it that way because I've had that discussion privately with people because you know, three years ago, it certainly felt like, or I guess when, before Rick was, was fired, it certainly felt that way that I was going to, you know, seesaw back and forth. Um, you know, so the other the other part of this, of course, is the Red River Red River rivalry. What other games did y'all talk about when you when you created your list of where do we go first? In terms of college football, yeah, I, we didn't actually have that long of a conversation when we were thinking about the teams and the players that we had talked about in the first few. Obviously. We hit the Midwest with Favre Rogers and MJ Isaiah. We're overseas with Federer and Nadal. Um, and then we're on the West Coast with Kobe Shaq. And I really wanted to do something with college football. I really wanted to do something with the South. But I didn't necessarily want to do the Iron Bowl um, just because it feels like it, it's it's all, there's almost too much baggage and it's been done so many times. And – there's something really interesting to me about Florida, Georgia and the back and forth and the huge, you know, eventual NFL personalities of, of the Gators and the Dogs. And the, the fact that these are two rivalry games that are basically the only two rivalry games outside of Army Navy that are uh, that are played on a neutral site. So I, I there was something about that um, that really sang to me. And we've considered others. I mean, we talked about like USC, UCLA and Oregon, Washington and. You know, I, I I actually considered the other rivalries that both Florida and Georgia have and talking, you know, Georgia Auburn or, you know, Tech Georgia is not as exciting to me and as somebody just removed from it um, because of just the, the weight of Florida, Georgia. Um, we talked about um, Texas, Texas Tech, I meant or Texas, Texas A&M, excuse me, um, is, has a lot of that, that visceral emotion. But at the same time, the stakes weren't always there, whereas with Florida, Georgia, that, you know, you look at the 90s with Florida, you look at the 80s with Georgia, you look at recent times with Georgia where there's, you know, there's a national championship on the line that, you know, you've got to go through this rivalry game. you got to go through Florida to stay unbeaten and, and perhaps make it to the SEC East, uh, or make it to the SEC championship game. So we were looking for stakes. We were looking for genuine emotion and we were looking for just an interesting history. And, you know, Georgia, Florida has that. So that that's what made sense as it relates to Georgia, Florida. And then with Texas, Oklahoma, with the stakes and with the big personalities and with the fact that they play at the state fair, like you can paint a picture that I think is more interesting than a number of rivalries with, uh, with the cocktail party and with red river. Yeah. And I did notice that the first episode popped up in my, um, podcast app this morning or this afternoon. Um, I'm just I'm just curious, I, and I don't want you to uh, I don't want you to go too far with this, but I assume you do a pretty good Steve Spurrier. So okay, 
I would love to do Steve Spurrier, but if you've noticed since Favre Rogers, I do less actual impressions. Um, mostly that's because the more famous these guys get, like Michael Jordan and Kobe Shaq, their voices are almost too famous for me. Somebody who does B minus impressions at best for me, like I can't do an accurate Michael Jordan. I can't do an accurate Isaiah Thomas. Steve Spurrier, I could probably, I think maybe there's a couple of moments where I give him like a, well, the media boys, but. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I was just waiting for beyond, that. That was amazing. That might be exclusive to your podcast. I don't remember if any of my impressions actually, I don't know if they get into the final cut. So I would love if they do, but. You know, I can't really do my, you know, the the recordings of what Vince Dooley sounded like in the 60s. I'm probably not going to nail those. And even though people, you know, people that aren't Georgia fans wouldn't know that I'm accurate or not accurate doing 1966 Vince Dooley. You know, it's just one of those things where it takes away if I sound too cartoonish. And the guy who does business for us does an amazing job. But nobody knows what the CEO of Mountain Dew sounds like. Nobody knows what like the president of uh, ASICs or some you know random shoe company sounds like. So it's harder with sports because they're so much more famous. So I've been doing I've been doing fewer impressions. Yeah, I guess I get that. And and for what it's worth, uh, Coach Dooley sounds exactly today or as of two weeks ago when I last talked to him. Good as he as he did in 1966. Um, so good. I'm glad. You know, so you know one last little thing I want to talk about before we get to uh, some some more fun things is. The solid sure. verbal, you and Ty have done mm-hmm. have done such an incredible job in not just building um, the brand out of that, and I, I hate to use the term that way, but just building a community there that is mm-hmm. probably unmatched on national college football. I mean, maybe the closest thing might be, you know, the EDSB yeah. people, or which you know I, I mm-hmm. love as well, uh, which is probably probably salient considering what went down this week with that. Um, how? How sure. did all of that come about? And and I apologize if you've done the origin story a hundred times and and don't want to talk about it. It's just no, it's fascinating fine. to me. Fascinating to me. So if you haven't listened, which maybe you did and forgot, or maybe I don't know, you listened to part of it. We did an actual origin story episode of the Solid Verbal two years ago, probably August. And so we laid out the whole long, tedious, which I'm not going to go through again. But you know, origin of the Solid Verbal and the road of the Solid Verbal. But essentially, it started when Ty and I were both at Sports Illustrated together. I was on the West Coast doing the video show, the tour show, and Ty was writing for the. We were both doing it for the SI on campus college site. And he saw one of my videos at Penn State where he went to college and thought I did a, a pretty good job. And I had been reading one of his columns, and we just sort of started emailing each other. And through that emailing, I learned that he had a, like an, an audio background. He had like done a little radio show with like his uncle about the Yankees in Pennsylvania. And so he had like an audio board and he had a mic and he had a, you know, a working understanding of podcasting, which this is 2008. And it's a relatively new medium and a college football show. I don't think existed. The only one, the only other one I remember existing was Michael Felder doing in the bleachers. Um, yeah. And I don't know if he started before us or we started before him, but we just sort of we liked it. And we all we knew sports wise was like Bill Simmons was doing it for ESPN. And so we decided to do a college football podcast that was extremely bad for two or three years. But 
we were able, because we were at Sports Illustrated, we could reach out to writers and say, hey, we're doing this podcast. We both work at Sports Illustrated. Would you be interested in coming on? And they did. And we would have Sports Illustrated coworkers on. And eventually we actually met in person because we lived in different parts of the country. And two years in, we finally met. Uh, in Nebraska at a Nebraska-Texas game because the video coordinator for Nebraska football was a listener and invited us. Um, and then it just went from there. And we were, you know, our sort of ethos and work ethic is pretty similar in that we go all year. We want it to be a show that happens to be about college football instead of just a college football show. So we try to think about the sport and just how to how to make a show creatively and cover it in different ways. And you know, whether it's doing, you know, a month about X's and O's, whether it's interviewing new coaches, whether it's, you know, uh, attacking it from a, a unique production angle. That's been our big thing, because, as you know, as a podcast listener and as a podcast producer, it's an immensely personal medium. People listen, not just, you know, on their commutes, but like while they're mowing the lawn, while they are, you know, flying somewhere while they're on a long road trip, while they are washing the dishes. And there's no, you don't get interrupted by score updates. You don't get interrupted by somebody else doing commercials. You know, it's not just eight minutes at a time. And so we've taken it very seriously. And like, we want you to like us. We want you to like Ty and Dan. And so that's why we talk about our personal lives. That's why we, you know, go year round and we take it very seriously. Just that, you know, we love creating our little corner, our little universe, and hopefully you appreciate college football a little bit more. Hopefully we're informing you without taking it too seriously, and we're going to do it as long as we like doing it, and uh, we are uh, we're in a great place, and we keep growing, so we are, we're going to keep having fun. Awesome, man. Well, I, y'all keep up the good work because it is, uh, I have about a 30-minute drive into the office, and um Solid Verbal is is a go-to for me. Um, I guess what it comes out on Wednesday afternoons, and then during the season it comes out mm-hmm. on Wednesday afternoons, and then Sundays, of course, uh, doing the doing the quick wrap up. So I, I love what y'all do, and um, it's it's amazing. So and that's and one of our one of our big things is we know we know we're not the smartest. We know we're not the best X's and O's minds. We know we're not the funniest. We know we're not um, the the most we're not dogged reporters, but we show up, you know, there's some like, we'll give you a B minus show when, you know, just for whatever reason it's off, but we don't take weeks off. We are, you know, our audio quality is always going to be good. And we know you have a, you're commuting every day. And if you kind of like us, that's great. We'll always be there. Well, we appreciate it. So before we wrap up, I do have a couple of very quick questions. Um, and this can be this can be short answer. I just want to curious. So, are you buying or selling Mario Cristobal? I'm buying. I'm buying Mario Cristobal. I think there is a um, a ruthlessness in a good way, not in a like a sociopathic way. There's a, a ruthlessness to how he operates. I think he's more organized than you know coaches since Chip Kelly. Uh, I think there is a drive to him. I think there's a vision to him. Obviously, he's been recruiting exceptionally well. Oregon, you know, brought in their best recruiting class ever last year. I think it finished sixth or seventh overall in the nation. Um, he's been good at identifying coaching talent, um, perhaps outside of we'll see. I'm, I'm hopeful that the offense gets better, but, you know, they recruit well. They're organized. There's a plan. Um, 
and there was a transition this year when you know they fired the defensive coordinator and everybody sort of assumes that just, they're just going to promote the safeties coach and he goes out and hires Andy Avlos from Boise State who made a ton of sense he was on a lot of people's radar and Boise's out defense was really good and unpredictable and he's in the region and he goes out and gets that guy instead of promoting his own guy which you know you you, ha- you see a lot of coaches around the sport where they're just like they're loyal to a fault sometimes and he went out and he made what appears to be we'll see how the defense is the right move for the school so i'm buying mario cristobal i think he's well liked um and I think he is hands off enough that he trusts his coaches. And that is a, a good recipe for winning nine, 10 uh, games a season. I'm, I'm not a, an Oregon person who looks at the team and say, how do we get back to where they were with Chip Kelly? Because I just think that's an unmatched situation. I'm just going to treasure the Chip Kelly era for what it was and hope that they're competitive and make good decision and beat teams they should and be competitive against better teams. I, it's a boring answer, but I'm, I'm in on Mario. You might be the uh, healthiest, mentally healthiest football <laughs> fan in the world uh, with that attitude. And I love it. So, um, I, but I say that in early August, you know, let's <laughs> sure, check sure. in, yeah. you know, the third quarter of the Auburn game. <laughs> right. Yeah. I get that. Um, so between Iowa state, Penn state and Oregon, which has the best chance to win their conference. It's probably Oregon. Um, they have one clear hurdle in the, on their schedule. I, I don't consider USC to be a clear hurdle yet until we know what that offense looks like with Graham Harrell. Um, Washington is the clear threat. They've been competitive with everybody else. They should have won that Stanford game last year. I don't want to talk about what happened, um, but they have the path because I don't fully believe in anybody in the South that I don't think the conference championship game is any sort of enormous, enormous challenge. Um, I'm looking at the schedule now. They have Utah, uh, not at all. So they miss Utah. So that's who they would face potentially in a championship game. Whereas Iowa State, as much as I like Brock Purdy and pieces on their defense, I just don't think they're deep enough to weather a couple of injuries at key spots. Um, Penn State's just an unknown with Sean Clifford. But of those three teams, I think Penn State's defense is the best unit. Um, but they're also in a division with Ohio State and Michigan, and I think that's just a, a tougher ask. So I'm going to stick with Oregon having the best chance to win their conference because I, I just don't think the hurdles are as tall. Yeah, I think that's, that makes the most sense to me too. So, um, yeah, thank you. You, you, made my, you made my work for our podcast this week. <laughs> thank you. Um, Done. So one last college football question. Just, I mean, this is kind of off the cuff. What game are you most looking forward to uh, sitting here August 2nd? Any any matchup? Any matchup, but it can be. I mean, if you want to go Patriot League, I'll allow it. <laughs> um, because we don't know what teams are actually going to look like, I'll, I'll stick with early on in the schedule. I'm very excited for Texas LSU and also Texas A&M Clemson. Those are the two, and I don't. Remember, I think they might be the same week. Um, those are the two, or maybe they're different weeks. Um, those are the two games where. I am. I, I see the quarterbacks. I see the defenses. You know that we have coaching continuity. That you know, even though Austin is not like a house of horrors kind of thing, it's not the most difficult place to play. It doesn't get doesn't get exactly rowdy, but we should know a lot about both of those teams based on that game, even though it's early on. And the same goes for for Clemson and Texas A&M with how close that game was in 
College Station last year. I'm excited to see what Clemson looks like with a, a partially rebuilt defense and what A&M looks like in you know, having the full first full offseason that, that Jimbo has over that team. You know, I, I, I'm really excited for the both of those two environments. So early on, that's what I have circled. Yeah, outside both, of Auburn, Oregon, of course. Yeah. Well, both of those games are on they are on the seventh. Uh, the Clemson okay. A&M games three thirty, and then the the night game is LSU at Texas. So that's a uh, it's pretty strong work there. So tacos, what's your go to? Tacos. Well, I mean, it depends where I am, right? Um, yeah, you like different you, places you, have different strengths. You get in there with the lingua, or you try to stick to uh, a little more basics. What do you like? I will do whatever is good. So I've been to Mexico City a couple times. I've been a couple other places in in Mexico, but. All things being equal, if I can do a combination of pastor, al pastor, and shrimp on different tacos, but like a shrimp taco, an al pastor taco, I love a good, like when a chorizo taco and the chorizo is mixed with the potatoes, you have that starchy, spicy combination. I'm a big fan of that. Um, and carne asada. Carne asada is third. I will, unless I am just totally out of options. I generally avoid chicken tacos because it's just generally going to be the blandest option. Um, and there's, there are times where a, a breakfast taco is excellent no matter the time of day, but I like the focus of pastor, shrimp and chorizo and just so many bonus points. If you're home making a corn tortilla, especially if you're grinding the corn yourself, yet it's very, very rare to find that. But uh, there are places that, that are doing a great job with their tortillas. you got good homemade salsas. I, I could not be happier. So that's my general direction. But I will – listen, I when we were in Mexico City last time, we went to a carnitas place, and they give you the option. You can choose which part of the pig you would like your carnitas from. Oh. And it ranges from uh, – so they – I mean they're, they're basically they're, – they're butchering the pig. And it's all frying in pig fat. Like, it's all frying in, in its own fat. Um, so you get this crispiness that you just can't get in a lot of places. And you can do your standard. You could do, like, from the shoulder. You could do from the rib. Those are your more standard. You could do from the belly, which is obviously fatty but great. Um, and then you can really go for it. You can do uterus carnitas wow. at, at a couple of places. So I didn't go that far, but... You know, being able to choose which part, you know, whether you want, you know, from a hawk, whether you want from the belly, if you want tripe, um, they'll 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 suit your desires. They'll do it for you. Um, but that sounds yeah, I'll go for it. Langwell. Yeah, I'll, I'll do whatever you, you tell me if, if a if a particular taco is popular at your place, that if it's calamari, if it's fish, if it's, you know, I'm. I've had tripe and I think it's fine. I think people either love it or are disgusted by it. And I'm just, it doesn't really move me. Um, but yeah, good lengua taco. Sure. Absolutely. If you, if you braise the hell out of it, it'd be delicious. Yeah. Mm. Now, now, now I have to go up, up and find the tacos. So, um, so <laughs> last, last question. You're from LA. Um, yes. what's your, uh, what's your go-to neighborhood downtown, Montebello, out out in Santa Monica, Midtown, or Mid-City. For, for tacos or yeah, for ta- just life? <laughs> well, that's a whole different podcast. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I found in the, tacos or taco trucks. So it's in the general east side downtown vicinity, you're just the hit list. I mean, it's basically 
like going to Texas or Florida for football players is what the downtown LA vicinity is for tacos. So like between LA a place and the river or. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it depends what you consider vicinity. I don't have a map in front of me, but strictly downtown you have Sonora town and they make their own flour tortillas and it's over a, uh, a wood fire grill. Um, Guisados and everything at Guisados is braised meat, so they do have a veggie option, and that's great. And they make their own tortillas as well. Um, Ricky's Fish Tacos, which is a little bit north, um, more towards Glendale, but uh, the best fish taco in LA. And then, if I were to recommend any other than Sonora Town, any one taco place in LA, it's a truck called Mariscos Jalisco, which is Jalisco's a region of Mexico. Mariscos is, of course, shrimp. Um, it's a seafood taco and tostada truck that has three or four locations, and it is the single best shrimp taco that I have ever come across, and it is, it's special. And it's, the shrimp is fried inside the tortilla, and then on top of the tortilla, they put salsa and avocado, and you sort of eat it horizontally, if that makes sense. It's almost like a folded tostada in a way. And it is spectacularly good. And, and both Marisco Jalisco and Sonora Town are downtown. So to me, that, that's, what, that's what sings my song. That, that butters my bread. That salsas my tortilla. Yeah, man. I tell you what, I did, those, those places there in downtown are, are pretty strong. And I've been, I've been to Ricky's. I actually went to Ricky's. Uh, oh, did you out, like it? Out for the Rose Bowl. Oh, yeah, loved it. Loved it. Okay, great, yeah. great. Uh, that's actually as far south as we went when we were in. We were out there for Pasadena. I was like, I told my wife, I was like, we got to ride down to Ricky's. Um, so. so Ricky's, the, the what makes their fish tacos so good, their fried tacos, they fry, so obviously there's a batter around the fish, they fry it in lard instead of oil. Man. And so <laughs> I, I guess it puffs it up. Um and makes it almost airy and light, more so than frying it in oil. I've never done it, so I'm just going by what Ricky says, but that's that's apparently their difference maker. I'm from South Georgia. I didn't know you could fry anything in anything other than lard when I was growing up. So I'm, I'm here <laughs> well, for so this. So you know. I'm here for So this. L.A. gets that reputation of, you know, alfalfa sprouts and avocado, but here we are frying our fish in lard. It's not bad. I love it, man. Well, Dan, I really appreciate you taking the time. It has been uh, – it's been a – it's been a joy and honor. I've, I'm so excited to have the opportunity to talk to you about uh, sports wars, particularly the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Uh, first episode came out today. So go ahead and mm-hmm. subscribe. Where can we find that and where can we follow you on the Twitters and whatnot? Sure. So you can, if you just, wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it's on Apple podcasts or Google podcasts or whatever app I use, I happen to use an app called, they don't pay me to say this, but I just really like it. It's called Overcast, like the weather phenomena. Um, and so you can just search Sports Wars or you can Google Sports Wars and it'll come up. Um, and you can follow me, Dan Rubenstein, on Twitter. You can follow the Solid Verbal, just at Solid Verbal. And that's where college football stuff happens and Dan Rubenstein, other college football stuff and just random things that people do on Twitter are also on my Twitter. Awesome. Dan, thank you so much, and I uh, look forward to seeing you in 2022 and uh, find out what's next on Sports Wars. Thanks a lot. Much obliged. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening, and thanks to Dan for joining Tony. Go subscribe to Sports Wars and The Solid Verbal. You'll be a smarter college football fan 
for doing so. And please subscribe, rate, and review the Waiting Since Last Saturday podcast. And if you wanted to, you can follow us on Twitter at WSLS Podcast. You can follow Tony at Tyler Dogden on Twitter. And as Tony says, they're practicing college football in Athens, so it's time to get excited. And I couldn't agree anymore. So we'll see you on campus in a few weeks. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>